In the name of God, the compassionate, the caring, praise be to God, Lord, sustainer of the world, the compassionate, the caring, master of the day of reckoning. To you we turn to worship, and to you we turn in the hour of need. Guide us along the straight path, the road of those to whom you are giving, not those with anger upon them, not those who have lost the way. These words are the exordium, the opening of the Quran, the holiest scripture in Islam. In its devotional eloquence, the exordium has been compared to the Lord's Prayer in Christianity. But this comparison only hints at its centrality to Muslim life. It is recited constantly in prayer, in liturgy, even to conclude business transactions. I begin my sermon with these words instead of the usual personal narrative or humorous anecdote to suggest that in exploring Islam, we find ourselves immediately on very different ground from Unitarian Universalism or Christianity or Judaism as they are typically practiced and lived in the United States in the 21st century. Islam demands from Muslims surrender and struggle. In exchange, it offers a devotional faith and a rich spiritual practice. Ever since September 11, 2001, non-Muslim Americans have been taking a crash course on Islam. Unfortunately, much of what we think we know is wrong, and all of us have much more to learn. After 9-11, the Reverend Franklin Graham, Billy Graham's son, called Islam a very evil and very wicked religion. Reverend Jerry Falwell called the Prophet Muhammad a terrorist. Reverend Pat Robertson called him a wide-eyed fanatic and a killer and denounced Islam as a monumental scam. Reverend Jerry Vines, past president of the Southern Baptist Convention, called Muhammad a demon-possessed pedophile. Just last winter, when a mosque was proposed in a small town in Wisconsin, local Christian clergy organized against it. The political objective of Islam is to dominate the world with its teachings, said one pastor, and to have domination of all other religions militarily. Even in cosmopolitan New York, the proposal for a mosque and community center in lower Manhattan provoked furious opposition, including demonstrations with signs like, all I need to know about Islam I learned on 9-11. Lieutenant General William G. Boykin, Deputy Undersecretary of Defense under President George W. Bush and once the top military officer in charge of the hunt for Osama bin Laden, liked to boast of his run-ins with a Muslim warlord in Somalia, telling religious audiences, I knew my God was bigger than his. I knew that my God was a real God and his was an idol. Perhaps the saddest thing about General Boykin's remarks is their ignorance. Every Muslim in the world knows what the general does not, that the Christian God cannot be bigger than the Muslim God because Muslims and Christians worship the same God, Allah, 
is simply Arabic for God. As the world grows smaller and intergroup conflict more dangerous, when religious misunderstanding can mean blood libel and religious hostility mass murder, we must know Islam better. The Arabic word Islam means submission or surrender to God. It derives from the same root as salam, which means peace. A Muslim is one who submits. Islam is the second largest religion in the world, claiming 17% of its population. Of the five major religions, it's the youngest, dating only from the seventh century. Resembling Christianity in its missionary zeal and cultural adaptability, Islam has spread far beyond the Arab world. Half of all Muslims live in South and Southeast Asia, only a fourth in the Arab Middle East. There are large Muslim populations in Africa and the former Soviet Union. Between 10 and 40% of Africans brought to this continent in slavery were Muslim. Today, there are more Muslims in the United States than Episcopalians and Presbyterians. The international diversity of Islam is sustained by a staunch religious unity in the form of five pillars. The first pillar is the Declaration of Faith, or Shahada. La ilaha illallah. There is no God but God. Muhammadum Rasul Allah. Muhammad is God's messenger. By saying these words sincerely, anyone can become a Muslim. No baptism, no catechism. You don't even have to join a committee. The second pillar is prayer, salah, five times a day, always toward the holy city of Mecca, and on a clean surface like a small rug or even a piece of cardboard on a city street. For a Muslim, salah is less a duty than a gift. Five opportunities each day to stop and remember God. This worldwide practice unifies Muslims in a virtual community beyond anything Facebook can imagine. The third pillar is zakat, the alms tax, a mandatory donation to charity. In every household, whatever money remains after needs and expenses must be purified by a gift of 2.5% of its value to the poor. This is by no means a limit on a Muslim's charity, but a minimum requirement. The fourth pillar is fasting, or psalm, during the month of Ramadan. In this month, in the year 610, Muhammad first received the revelation of the Quran. During this month, unless they are ill, traveling, nursing, or pregnant, Muslims abstain during daylight hours from food, water, tobacco, and sexual relations. In some latitudes, where daylight lasts as long as 16 hours, the fast is no mean feat. It is broken each night with a feast, and at the end of the month with a festive holiday. The fifth pillar is pilgrimage to Mecca, which all Muslims are obliged to make once in their lives. 
As Washington Post reporter Thomas Lippmann describes it, rich and poor, herdsman and tycoon, scholar and illiterate, man and woman, Arab, Persian and Turk, African and Asian journey to the sacred shrine. Some camp in tents, others stay in new hotel suites at exorbitant prices, but all are equal before God as they kneel in prayer, indistinguishable in the white raiment of pilgrimage. It was this life-altering experience that turned Malcolm X's heart from racial separation to world community. Some traditions include jihad as one of the five pillars, but for all traditions, it is crucial. Translating jihad as holy war distorts its meaning. Jihad means exertion or struggle in the way of God. Muslims understand that struggle with opponents is the lesser jihad. The greater jihad is struggle with oneself to overcome all that distracts and tempts one away from God's will. The Prophet Muhammad was a man of the world, a successful merchant transformed into a religious, political, and military leader. Muslims believe he received the word of God dictated verbatim by the angel Gabriel over the span of 23 years, which became the text of the Quran. Muslims venerate but do not worship Muhammad because only God is divine. Muslims are as determinedly monotheistic as Jews and more so than Christians, whose Trinitarianism Muslims consider polytheistic. The closest equivalent to Christ in Islam is not Muhammad, but the Quran itself. To desecrate it or hold it in contempt is as offensive to a Muslim as defiling or mocking Christ is to a Christian, which is why the threat of Florida Pastor Terry Jones to burn the Quran last September 11 was so painful and provocative to Muslims around the world. Islam explicitly builds upon Jewish and Christian foundations. Muslims believe that Moses and Jesus were, like Muhammad, messengers of God. They think Christians err by worshiping the messenger instead of the God who sent him. Like Jews and Christians, Muslims trace direct descent from Abraham, but through Ishmael rather than Isaac. Jesus, they believe, was a healer and miracle worker who was not crucified, but taken up to heaven by God. Muslims also reject the doctrine of original sin. In the Quranic account, Adam and Eve repent of their disobedience, both are forgiven, and that's the end of it. Islam recognizes thousands of prophets, but deems Muhammad their seal, his the final revelation. Perhaps it is Islam's insistence on correcting and improving Christianity that makes it so threatening to some Christians. United States media luridly report the harshest punishments meted out under Islamic law, or Sharia. By a 70% majority, Oklahoma voters earlier this month barred state judges from even considering Sharia principles in their decisions, even though none ever had. Sharia means the way, the path. It covers everything from prayer to property, divorce, family matters, and financial relationships. 
Charging interest on loans is considered unethical. So elaborate community banking systems have evolved to permit home buying and business ventures without interest. While Muslims agree on the importance of Sharia, they disagree over the details and even whether it is applicable to a modern nation state. Sharia is interpreted so differently among countries and cultures that it's no more pre precise a descriptor than democracy or socialism. Iranian human rights lawyer Shirin Abadi, awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 2003, says, there is no contradiction between an Islamic Republic, Islam, and human rights. If in many Islamic countries human rights are flouted, this is because of a wrong interpretation of Islam. All I've tried to do in the last 20 years was to prove that with another interpretation of Islam, it would be possible to introduce democracy to Muslim countries. Even Sharia insists upon tolerance of other faiths. Let there be no compulsion in religion, the Quran proclaims. We have ordained a law and assigned a path for each of you. Vie with each other in good works. For to God you shall all return, and he will resolve for you your differences. Historically, Muslims have been far more tolerant of Jews living among them than Christians have been. What they will not tolerate is proselytization of their own by other faiths. Although some Muslim countries are highly patriarchal by modern Western standards, the status of women in Islam is determined more by culture than by religion. Some Quranic passages imply male superiority, while others suggest gender equality. As Muslim scholar Rifat Hassan points out, for centuries Islamic scripture was interpreted solely by men. Patriarchy is not integral to the Islam embodied in the Quran, she insists, and the injustice to which Muslim women have been subjected cannot be regarded as God-derived. Especially since 9-11, some have argued that Islam is a violent religion inclined to war. As in most religions, Islamic scriptural authority for war is mixed. Fight in the way of God against those who fight against you, the Quran commands, but do not begin hostility. Truly, God does not love aggressors, and if unbelievers incline to peace, so you must incline to it. Critics cite the sword verses, which say, slay the idolaters wherever you find them, arrest them, besiege them, and lie in ambush, in ambush everywhere for them. Even my liberal colleague, best-selling Unitarian Universalist minister Kate Braestrup, cites the sword verses in support of the misleading claim that the terror of September 11 was, quote, an act of perfect fealty by deeply committed men of faith. In fact, these vengeful verses refer specifically to those unbelievers who have broken treaties with Muslims or aided their enemies. And the commandment immediately follows to protect and safeguard any non-Muslim seeking asylum. Unfortunately, as Kate Braestrup allows, there is ample support for war and violence against unbelievers in Jewish and Christian texts as well. Like all great religions, Islam is rich in paradox, ambiguity, and nuance. 
Within it coexist Sunni and Shia, high and low traditions, restorative, modernist, and feminist voices. Islam is as divided between fundamentalists and modernists, between literalists and liberals, as any other faith. It's no fairer to judge Islam by Ayatollah Khomeini or Osama bin Laden than to judge Christianity by Pope Gregory IX or David Koresh. For all the talk of a clash of civilizations, the greatest division is not between Islam and Christianity, Christianity, East and West, haves and have-nots, or even old and new. The greatest division is between diatribe and dialogue, between condemning and understanding, between those who believe that truth must be, must be seized and defended like territory and those who believe truth flows freely, like water. In this fearful and violent world, may we follow the truth wherever it leads. May we stand against terrorism and for religious freedom. May we resist the tides of intolerance. May we seek always to understand May we see with the compassion and caring of a common God. Amen. And blessed be.